0: why I think it's one of the best places, is because the town crier, nice and old school, we've got a town crier there, just like a few other old colonial towns, he comes out with his horn. Every time whales have been spotted, he blows that horn, and that way everyone in the town at the time knows that they can go out and view the whales migrating past the coast. Ex-political prison has been transformed into the Constitutional Court of South Africa. Uh, Walking along the alleys, walking down through the corridors, seeing what's etched in those walls that have been left there, such as the African National Congress's Freedom Charter, written by a lot of those political prisoners, they've been left there for everyone to see. So again, it's the bones of the old South Africa being laid bare for people to understand its
1: history. This is episode 28 of the Travel Podcast. Welcome. I'm Matthew from the Travel Podcast team, and I'm joined by our special guest, Steve Balderson from South Africa Tourism London office. On this episode, Steve takes us around South Africa in detail covering city breaks, safaris and historical sites you must visit also Steve tells us where to safari malaria free, where to find hippos crossing the street and where you can stay at the most haunted hotel in South Africa and make sure you listen until the end for Steve's top 3 recommended holidays to South Africa and his 5 hidden gems Thank you for joining us, Steve. I know that you've got a lot of great knowledge and insight into South Africa as a country. But before we delve into the wonderful country of South Africa, can you just give a bit of an insight into um, your travels and work in South African tourism and then also going into any key information of any traveller heading to South Africa.
0: Sure can. Uh, Matthew, thanks so much for having me on the podcast today. It's exciting to be here and always exciting to talk about pretty much my favourite nation in the world, the rainbow nation that is the Republic of South Africa. Uh, so I guess um, I want to talk about a bit of a, a, a general overview today. But as you said, there's other sort of key information, depending on where you're listening within the world at the moment, of course. But for some of the major countries that we look after that we like people coming in to visit places like the United Kingdom, the United States, Australia, Uh, visa entry requirements uh, although they might be a little bit different at the moment with the current pandemic in general it's quite easy to get in you don't actually need a visa to enter South Africa which is nice and handy all you need is your passport and you can head on through which is good Um, if you're arriving pretty much all major flights from long-haul destinations so again coming from parts of Europe the Americas coming in from Australia New Zealand as well uh, and Asia too if anyone's listening From there, you'd be flying into either Johannesburg. Which is actually the third largest city on the African continent uh, you'd be flying into Cape Town very popular beachside destination great start for the garden route there in South Africa as well a fantastic self-driving holiday suggestion which we'll talk about a little bit later on and uh, another really popular option is flying into Durban which is over on the eastern seaboard of South Africa the cap- uh not the capital sorry but the largest city within KwaZulu-Natal the Zulu Kingdom and all three of these cities sort of uh a fantastic gateways because each of those areas surrounding the cities offer something entirely different for the avid traveller that hasn't been to South Africa before.
1: What is the currency? I love uh, different currencies around the world. So
0: uh, over in South Africa, we use the RAND, uh, it's called. So South African RAND, been there for a very long time. Uh, When we're talking value for money, just to give you a bit of an idea, at least for our UK and uh, European listeners anyway, against the British pound at the moment, you're getting about 21 RAND to the pound. That's as of July 2020. Uh, That could change, of course, a little bit. But once people start heading back down there really obvious thing about South Africa is the value for money and just how much you're getting bang for your buck or bang for your rand if you like is a better way to put it
1: That's amazing that's a great exchange rate and um, we're going to touch on a bit more that you talk about the Garden Rue and the Natal and Panora- uh, Panorama route and obviously you've got Kruger National Park we're going to delve into a little bit later on but can you just give the listeners um, a little bit of history and culture of South Africa as a country
0: Yeah, sure that's a great idea. I can talk about that, um, perhaps a little bit about the cities, the coastline, safari as well. But if we're starting with the history and culture, interesting thing about South Africa, due to its history, is um, there's actually three capital cities. So that in itself, I think, is a good starting point to talk about. So when it comes to history of South Africa, once upon a time, of course, it was part of the British colonial empire. So uh, there is all the history that goes along with that. Although South Africa is known as the Rainbow Nation these days, it wasn't always the case, and South Africa definitely had a very, very different past, and it was a different country up until the election of the first black president, which was Nelson Mandela, of course, Madiba, as he is known, chief in the Tulsa language in South Africa, He was elected in 1994. Once upon a time, though, the British had arrived uh, a couple of hundred years before that. The Dutch had also arrived. The Dutch then decided to leave, and uh, all of the Dutch descendants slowly but surely became their own identity, which was the Afrikaners. They started moving away from the British arriving in and started um, exploring different parts that had already been taken by other uh, African tribes within the area. As a culmination of history um long story short in the early 1900s she had something called the union of south africa after a few different wars between the zulu people over in the east the british and also the boas which are now the africana descendants in south africa but after everything had settled down moderately anyway The Union of South Africa was born. The capital was in Pretoria and and still is to this day as well. So President Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, President of South Africa and presidents presiding before him, all hang around the Union buildings, which are in Pretoria, just to the north of Johannesburg in the province of Gauteng. Cape Town is the parliamentary capital. And then you've got uh, a historic city in what we call the Free State Province. It's called Bloemfontein, and that's the judicial capital. So, uh, yeah, three very, very famous fascinating, but also very different cities to each other. When we're talking about cultures, the other interesting thing about South Africa is you've got 11 official languages. There's no other country in the world that I personally know of that you can actually have 11 official languages. It's very, very amazing indeed. Good thing though, for our listeners is particularly if they speak English, I'm guessing if they're listening to this podcast, they speak quite well, is South Africans also speak very good English, no matter what their heritage, um, the lingua franca uh, for one of a better word, the language of business, if you like, is English. Even if it isn't a South African's native tongue, they'll be able to speak it, which means it's very, very easy to make your way around and communicate with people once in the rainbow nation too.
1: And you mentioned the cities there and the three capitals, which is very unusual uh, for a country. Uh, what are the main cities and what can people experience when they head to those? Great. So uh,
0: a few things uh, to know about the main cities. So uh, let's start with Cape Town. So Cape Town is always a really good destination to fly into internationally. And for any of our listeners that have never been to South Africa before, it's a really good place to start. If you haven't been to the African continent at all, it's always a really good gateway to begin your exploring as well. So Cape Town is really well known. Um, they know it as the mother city within South Africa, just because of its history there, its architecture. Uh, you've got a mixture of European, got a mixture of uh, British, and then you've got a mixture of African architecture within that area, as well as the fact that it is a modern hustle and bustle of a city as well. So uh, world-class food and wine within Cape Town is a massive thing. There are a number of restaurants there, That have actually won quite a few awards, and we're talking worldwide awards there as well. So people really know this region, the capital of the Western Cape Province, as an area for world class food and wine. Um, Once you fly in, Cape Town is very distinctive as well. And some people might know it if they're looking at pictures of the city, because it actually houses one of the seven natural wonders of the world. That's Table Mountain. So it's an amazing place because you see what is a mountain, but it's got a flat top right at the. Right at the top, of course, Uh, you can catch a cable car up to there, and the views are panoramic. They're 360 degrees around there, and if you get decent weather, which is quite an easy thing to get in Cape Town, it's got a Mediterranean climate, a little bit so, um, a little less so. Sorry, in June, July, and August, a bit more rain around at that point in time, but overall, you still get a fantastic view up there, which is great. Those views are absolutely phenomenal down into Table Bay, down into Camps Bay, which is in the little city behind as well, or suburb, I should say, and much further off into the distance if it's not a hazy day you can see all the way down into the Cape of Good Hope or the Cape Peninsula within the Western Cape Province. Um, When we talk about the city itself if you were to fly in I'd recommend spending four or five days there, and that's simply because there's so much within Cape Town and the surrounding areas to actually see. So you've got, again, from the historical side, Robben Island, so that's just a half an hour ferry ride out from the waterfront in Cape Town. And visiting places like Robben Island, you really get a sense of the previous history of the previous country known as South Africa. And although it's not necessarily an overall positive story, the experience is very important for people to understand what South Africa was once like, once upon a time, of course, during the apartheid era, and what it is now like. And they get a bit of a feel as to why it is the way it is to this day as well. So going out to Robben Island, it's a former political prison. And interestingly, Nelson Mandela himself spent almost 20 years of his almost 30 year prison sentence on Robben Island a lot of other political prisoners at the time too so it makes it very interesting to actually go out and visit so once you arrive on Robben Island the really interesting thing is you'll be taken around not just by any tour guides but the majority of guides there are actually ex-prison inmates themselves some of them are ex-prison guards as well but still live on the island to this present day so essentially you're getting the story straight from the horse's mouth which is what is so interesting about that particular area Area. Of course, Robben Island isn't one. It uh, isn't the only place you can do that. You can actually do it in a lot of different areas all around South Africa. To get a bit of a sense. the history there um but apart from that heading down i mentioned cape Point, which you can see from table mountain there that fantastic flat top mountain going down to cape point a little bit over an hour and a half drive and you're down in the cape of good hope it's actually all part of the same national park or wildlife nature reserve a lot of people love traveling down there because it's the most southwesterly point on the african continent um, common misconception is a lot of people once upon a time thought it's where a confluence of two oceans were. you were able to see the Atlantic Ocean out on one side and the uh, Indian Ocean out on the other. It's actually a little bit further along, according to marine biologists. However, it is still a fantastic place to go. Amazing views, really nice secluded beaches that you walk down little wooden steps to get to uh, far away from everyone else. Also has a fantastic restaurant there with brilliant views looking out to uh, the ocean. Um So Cape Point's great, a lot of places to see along the way. If people are driving down to Cape Point, you usually drive down there and back in the one day. There are plenty of places to stay, fantastic little... Uh, villages uh, along the way, like Fishhook, for example. You've got Simonstown as well. Beautiful, beautiful area. You can even catch the train down there, commuter service down to that place too. But what's really close to Simonstown is Boulder's Beach. That's why a lot of people come to Cape Town. It's not the only reason, but it's certainly a fantastic thing to see. Now, I'm not actually talking about the beach itself although that is very pretty. I'm talking about the animals that reside at the beach there. So you've got the African penguin, these cute little things are the only type of penguin on the African continent as well. And when you get there and when you actually see them, they are amazing. They're so used to people, which is great. Of course, we absolutely don't endorse proper animal interaction with wild animals. So you are kept away at a distance. There's a great boardwalk that goes along there, but the animals are still very used to your presence, which is good. So there are hundreds of breeding pairs there. And actually it was in the late 70s, early 80s, breeding pairs started to arrive on the beach and make themselves at home. They're an endangered species, although there's a lot of efforts at the moment to ensure their conservation status has changed. Uh, but all the same, it is a fantastic experience to go down and see those penguins there, which is good. Um, What else have we got around Cape Town? It's just too many things really, which is good. Uh, I didn't actually mention that getting up to Table Mountain, um, it's a cable car to get to the top. It's about a seven or eight minute uh, ride to get there and the whole cable car rotates as you go up, so you're guaranteed some pretty decent views. But if you wanted to hike up to the top, a lot of people do that as well. It's funny, working for the South African Tourism Board, we see a lot of information telling people that it's only about an hour to get to the top if they hike. Um, That might be the case for an extreme fit person that does lots of running and mountain climbing every day but it normally takes a little bit longer that but stopping and starting nice and easy it's nice and safe there's lots of handrails and guards and steps and we've got tourism officers that make sure uh, everyone's nice and safe and doing the right thing getting up to the top as well to ensure you have the best climb up and then if you want to save your knees you can always take the cable car back down uh, as a bit of a, a chance to relax after you big old walk up to the top there too um, the other good thing is and i like to mention this about cape town is it's only about a two hour flight from johannesburg the other well, the main reason I mention that is because um, a lot of travellers from all around the world, they'll actually find that when they're looking at flights, uh, particularly if they're direct flights from different regions, you can get direct flights, of course, from the UK and from Europe that do overnight trips. Um, getting to Johannesburg is usually a bit easier. So most people will ask about that and then they'll actually fly on. So if you're doing that and transiting through Johannesburg or staying perhaps for a little while, uh, then it's only a two-hour flight in between. And all those South Africa is a relatively large country. It's nowhere near as big as places like Canada, United States, Brazil, Australia, that you can fly four or five hours on the one flight and you're still in the same country. So that's quite a good thing to keep in mind as well. You can do a little bit more in a shorter amount of time there. And then just the last thing I should probably mention about Cape Town, unless there's any questions, of course, uh, is the V&A waterfront. Uh, A lot of people end up staying there when travellers visit. Of course, there are so many different options around the fantastic city of Cape. Town. i mentioned that there are surrounding areas as well and a lot of these areas a lot of these different types of accommodation will offer free shuttles in and out of the cape town city center or down to the vna waterfront as well i should mention that the vna waterfront um, vna stands for the victoria and alfred waterfront. So just a bit of history there. In the 1850s, Alfred, not Albert, her husband, Alfred, their son, went down there and actually opened the waterfront as a working dock once upon a time. And it is still a working dock, which makes it quite unique, I feel, amongst a lot of areas because you've got shops, cafes, shopping, entertainment, great restaurants, bars. You've got the Two Oceans Aquarium there. You've got an amazing museum too, but you've also got working docks, commercial entities still running around. So you've got a mixture of hustle and bustle, and leisure all in the one place there but that's certainly a popular place for people to stay when they head down to Cape Town
1: and with Cape Town just a quick question for those looking to go obviously you mentioned Table Mountain be high on a lot of people's list to get up there on a sunny day occasionally there might be a bit cloud in the morning do people need to pre-book to get on the cable car is it quite easy or flexible tickets
0: it's a really good question Matthew Um, in general it is relatively easy to book but you will find that in the busy season there now the busy season for South Africa, particularly for the Cape area, is usually the summer months. So summer months in the Southern Hemisphere, that means you'll be looking at November, uh, which is late spring, and then December, January, February. And that's when you'll find a lot of South Africa. Southern Africa, in fact, likes to go down and enjoy the beach experience there, uh, as well as a lot of other parts of the world. So it can get a bit tough. I'd highly recommend booking through a travel agent. They are able to offer that flexibility for people if they were to do that. In the wintertime, or in their what we call shoulder, seasons, which sort of means in spring and autumn, it is a little bit easier and they will find it okay to actually book once they have arrived. And it's easy enough to book online to do that as well. But if they are booking ahead, I definitely recommend booking with a travel agent. The other benefit for doing that is that um, if they get there and for some reason weather-wise that uh, the cable car isn't running then they'll have a couple of days to actually change it around so I guess another hot tip for that is to actually make sure that it's booked basically for the first day that uh, visitors want to explore Cape Town in South Africa and that way if they're doing it on their very first day if anything does happen that's actually the same for Robben Island's Ferry as well if anything does happen they have quite a few more days while they're still in Cape Town to change things around or have their agent or their booker change things around for them
1: That is a brilliant tip so make sure you take note of that if you're listening and wanting to go to Cape Town and um, I know you mentioned Joburg or Johannesburg is that again a, a city you mentioned a lot of people may use it as a layover so that people may stay there for a couple of days is it more of a city breaks Style, a couple of nights and then you get out and about yeah, Africa? That, that's
0: correct. Absolutely. Um, it, it, I must definitely say that it's certainly more than just a stopover. Johannesburg is a really, really vibrant city and there's been a lot of changes there in the last five to ten years as well, which is great. Um, but in saying that, you will find, as I mentioned, and you're completely right in saying that, that um, a lot of people will fly into Johannesburg, they'll stay a couple of days and then they'll probably head on to other places such as Durban, Port Elizabeth and the Eastern Cape. They might fly up to the northwest western province uh, and check out some of the areas around there or they'd head down of course to Cape Town as well all of that within a couple of hours flight of each other which is a really really handy thing just to remember there. If people are going into Johannesburg and they want to spend a few days there you can think of those hip and trendy areas that you're getting all around the western world now where you've got hipsters with beards drinking really good coffee and having locally uh, brewed craft beer and cider and Uh, fantastic wine. You've got a really nice area in Johannesburg or Joburg or Josie. Some people call it as well. Uh, And it's known as Maboneng. So M-A-B-O-N-E-N-G. Maboneng really is one of those great areas you've got a lot of boutique accommodation in that region so for any of our listeners that are interested in something a little bit more bespoke a bit more unique the boutique accommodation is really really nice around that area and it's all walkable it's nice and safe as well i know johannesburg sometimes cops a little bit of flack about being unsafe but statistically it's absolutely fine to walk around within that city of course you have to keep your wits about you in certain areas but those touristy bits not an issue at all marvinang really is one of those amazing places the other cool thing about Johannesburg is it's really close to one of those capital cities that I mentioned Pretoria so i um, getting between those two places a lot of people will drive if you get traffic on a good day uh, it's about a 45 minute to an hour drive but you can actually get there in about 25 to 30 minutes on a fast train is known as the how train, and the How train can take people from Johannesburg via OR Tambo Airport. That's the main international airport that flies in all the way up to Pretoria, and of course vice versa. And that's also a good thing to keep in mind if people are flying in; they can get off at the international airport in Johannesburg, OR Tambo, and catch one of those trains either up to Pretoria or down to Johannesburg across many different places too, which is good. Um, within Johannesburg, you've got Constitution Hill. Uh, That's one of many areas that you'd actually go out and visit on a Johannesburg day tour just because it's very varied history and it's past. There is a lot of things to see and experience around this large city here certainly the third largest city by population on the African continent and by far the largest city by population in South Africa and Southern Africa for that uh, matter as well um, so Constitution Hill is uh, where the Constitutional Court of South Africa is so although Johannesburg's not a capital city it does have one of the court systems there which is quite fascinating walking through that court doesn't sound that interesting I know the way I'm describing it. who wants to go and see a courthouse but the really interesting thing about it is it actually was a form of political prison, just like Robben Island. I mentioned there's a few different areas all around South Africa that visitors might want to go and see so they can experience and understand what South Africa was once upon a time like and certainly what it's like these days. Um, As a bit of a side note as well, South Africans, no matter what their heritage Uh, are very open uh, and very transparent about South Africa and what it was once like once upon a time. And I think that's a really important thing in order to move on as a nation as well. And that's certainly what I find every time I travel to South Africa. And although you can probably guess by the accent, I'm not from there, but trust me, I've been there many, many times and I absolutely love this country so much. So uh, going up to Constitution Hill, they will actually understand that where they're walking through as a political prison or an ex-political prison has been transformed into the Constitutional Court of South Africa. Walking along the alleys, walking down through the corridors, seeing what's etched in those walls that have been left there, such as the African National Congress's Freedom Charter, written by a lot of those political prisoners, they've been left there for everyone to see. So again, it's the bones of the old South Africa being laid bare for people to understand its history there. But that's just one of the many areas. Um, Getting out to the Apartheid Museum is also very important, I think. And there's so much to that. history that people may not even understand of course black africans were forced even though they were the majority of people into being second class citizens for many many decades institutionalized and then of course before that culturally as well for a very long time and it wasn't until 1994 that things really started to change the end of apartheid occurred nelson mandela was elected as the first black president of south africa's republic the apartheid museum doesn't just run through that it runs through uh the lead-up to apartheid being introduced in the late 1940s through uh, throughout World War II, what was happening. And very, very interestingly of course, there are a lot of other people from backgrounds that are different in South Africa. You have quite a high Jewish population there. You've also got a lot of people, particularly in the eastern part of South Africa, that have Indian uh, that have what is now Sri Lankan and what is now Pakistani heritage there. And they've been there for hundreds of years. So there's a subculture there which is really, really interesting. And it runs through a bit of that and how those particular people were actually treated as well a lot of people don't realize that Mahatma Gandhi spent a lot of his formative years in South Africa seeing what he experienced there led him to become the man that he was within the end Thus, of course, moving over to what is now the Republic of India as well. It's very, very fascinating. So the Apartheid Museum is a lot more than you would expect. Personally, what I love about the Apartheid Museum is you get to the end section there and you've got children from the 1990s when the New South Africa fresh it was brand new there was a lot of new ideas being thrown around and the government looked to the children all children from all walks of life and they said what do you picture your South Africa to be like and there's a massive big South African flag with all of these fantastic pictures of what the children back then thought South Africa would be like it's really really nice to see so a, a great overall experience um, just not far out of Johannesburg you can also head out to a place called the cradle of humankind and for any uh, uh, paleontologist buffs or anyone that loves the history of human evolution this is a really important place it's most certainly world heritage listed as well but um for anyone that knows about lucy she was an australopithecus you don't have to remember the name of course but it was a type of hominid or humanoid that was found in central africa thought to be about seven million years old well a lot of the same species have also been found down in South Africa. Some of them were started to uh, started to be discovered in the 1970s on farmland out near very uh, very close to a place called Harpiers Ports in the Michalisburg Mountain Range. And you can actually head out there and see this fantastic interpretive center. And it doesn't just run through the cradle of humankind, what they did with these fossils, how they found them, what they deduced from them, but it runs through the entire history of humankind In South Africa specifically so it's really really fascinating world-class facility to go and visit there just a couple of hours drive out so you can hire a car and drive out there I should mention as well for any of our listeners that are based in countries such as Britain Ireland Australia New Zealand um, cars drive on the same side of the road so it's quite easy to get onto which is great to uh, keep in mind for any of our listeners that drive on the right-hand side of the road don't worry it's nice and easy to get used to I've done the opposite myself when I head over to country that drive on the right-hand side. If you haven't done it, don't be scared it's much easier than expected but of course there are so many different options that a travel agent could book for you here you could have tours to take you out to for example the cradle of humankind as well um, and just very quickly I should mention about Johannesburg as well another famous place for those who are in the know is a place called Soweto so in South Africa you have a lot of townships um, where a lot of African people of African descendancy uh, still live to this day uh, it's just a historical layover there but you've got a lot of people moving in from other countries and parts of South Africa into these townships. So there's been a heck of a lot of changes in the last few decades. One of the most famous ones, if not arguably the most famous, is Soweto. It is by far the largest gazetted township with well over a million people within South Africa, and it was set up during the apartheid regime times known as the Southwestern Townships. That's where it gets its name from, Soweto. But these days they welcome you with open arms. They want people to go down and explore the rich history of Soweto because you have such a mixture of different African cultures all in the one area there. You've got the main street known as Vilakazi Street. You've got some fantastic restaurants along there that your tour guides can show you around that area. But also, interestingly, it is the only town in the world, the only place in the world, actually, where you can find two houses facing each other directly that both once belonged to Nobel Peace Prize winners at the same time. And that's quite fascinating. Those Nobel Peace Prize winners, may have guessed one already, Madiba, Nelson Mandela, And then living right next door, or sorry, not next door, right across the road from him, was Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who is still alive and kicking today. He's in his 90s, I believe, and he still lives in that house. It's very, very interesting to see. So some people might be lucky enough to see him out and about, heading in and back out of that house every now and then if they go down to there. But Soweto is definitely an important place to go visit as well.
1: For anyone who wants to see the history and real culture of South Africa, need to make sure they stop off in in Joburg or Josie or Johannesburg um, and and they'll maybe learn a few more names for for it when they're there. That's exactly right. No, but it's it's very very interesting to see, like I say, in the cradle of humanity is also there. So there's so much within that. So I can completely understand where you said it's not just a layover city, which people exactly. listening may have thought of, or some people may be listening have been to South Africa and have only used it as a layover city. Mm-hmm. Who now may work, actually next time I'm going, I need to stay at least three or four days there to be able to explore all of that rich culture. So you mentioned Cape Town and Johannesburg are the two big big cities. Are there That's any correct. other and Durban as well? So Are there any other cities that people will go and visit? So, for instance, like Durban or Pretoria?
0: So, yeah, you're totally correct, Matt. Uh, uh, Pretoria is a fantastic city to go to. And I should mention, actually, that um, there are a lot of places to stay in Pretoria as well. People don't just have to go there from Johannesburg and then back in the one day. Lots of different types of accommodation, but more interestingly, uh, of course, once people are there, there's a lot of places to see. Very historic sound town centre uh, or city centre within Pretoria. You've got a couple of historic statues there. You've got an old church, the old parliament buildings from once upon a time. It was one of the old Dutch uh, Boer republics. You've also got one of the old courthouses. This is where the famous Ravonia Child Happened. So the Ravonia Trial. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, in the 1960s, this is where Nelson Mandela was actually sentenced initially to death and then into life imprisonment. Uh, of course, that all changed as certain things changed. But there's a lot of history within that area. You've got the Voortrekker's Monument up on the top there, the Union Buildings themselves, and the most amazing war memorial there, and it houses all names of all South Africans that lost their lives, and whether that be in the Boa War, uh, whether it be in the First and Second World Wars, or of course the struggle against apartheid, all names are there. And it's a very, very beautiful, serene place to go visit, as well as the botanical gardens around that area. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, if we're talking about Durban, Durban's a completely different city yet again. So I should mention there's nine provinces in South Africa. Now, if you're traveling to South Africa, you're not expected to remember all of the names of the nine provinces. So don't worry about it too much but just out of interest uh pretoria and johannesburg they're quite close to each other and they're both situated in the same province they're in Gauteng. uh cape town is capital of the western cape down in the southwestern part of south africa and then if we travel over to the province of kuzulu natal uh the zulu kingdom land of the zulu people if you like this is over in the east and it's situated on the Indian Ocean there now if we're talking about uh, sorry we're talking about Durban this place is all about beach life because you've got those warm waters from the Indian Ocean it means that people can swim in this ocean all year round Cape Town gets a little bit chilly sometimes. It's still good for the faint heart and not for the faint heart, but it's good for everyone else. But Durban, you don't have to worry about any of that. Durban, you've got a fantastic beachfront. You've got what we call the Golden Mile. You've got all of the hotels situated along the main area within the city centre of Durban itself and the beach right next to it. You've also got some other beautiful secluded areas of Durban. Heading just a little bit further north, you've got um, areas known as Umschelunga, Umschelunga Rocks, and uh, this is a nice place to stay for People, there's uh, some higher market accommodation within that part too. Or they can head even further north again to the beachside area of Bolito. Uh, so a few different areas just within the one city there. Um, things to do within Durban. A lot of people love going out and checking out the promenade. Mention the Golden Mile. Doing a Segway tour along here, you get to learn a heck of a lot about history of Durban. There are still some industrial aspects to the city tucked away a little bit, and you get to learn about the importance of Durban in the past, but also to this day, Durban Port is one of the largest ports in. Africa on the African continent which is quite impressive to see. Um, the cities, uh, the city's high-rise buildings there the majority of them hotels means that it has a very friendly relaxed beachside atmosphere and the majority of people hanging around are tourists as well. You've got Florida Road personally um, a little tip for Durban this is where the locals like to hang out. Florida Road's just a few blocks back from the main city center there as well. You've got fantastic bars, you've got fantastic restaurants, a couple of nightclubs if anyone feels like having a bit of a party and um, I didn't mention yet and I will mention later on again but I will just say quickly now that getting around if you're going out for a few drinks going to have a night on the town is super easy if you're staying in accommodation your hotel concierge can book taxis for you because of the exchange rate against major world currencies you'll find it's extremely cheap to get around most importantly keep in mind for anyone that's familiar with any of the riding apps you've got a number of them down there including Uber safe easily regulated all that sort of stuff stuff and again super cheap to get from a to b i live in the uk getting from one side of johannesburg to the other very big city can take 45 minutes to an hour sometimes i think i paid about three pounds when i was down there last so it is cheap as to get around yeah makes a big difference and certainly worth uh, a mention as well um, getting out of Durban though and, and, and I understand we're talking about cities in general but you do have a few other areas within the province of KwaZulu-Natal the actual capital of KwaZulu-Natal although Durban is the largest city it's a place called Peter Maritzburg so there's a lot of history behind that area a lot of beautiful colonial architecture within that part as well and then heading on from there you've got a large mountain range that actually goes through a lot of South Africa but specifically you've got a national park section here known as the Drakensberg National Park and if you're going through these parts picture in your head uh, Julie Andrews singing this, um, uh, the hills are alive with the sound of music along beautiful rolling green hills lots of lovely wildflowers coming up that's the Drakensberg and a lot of people don't realize that you're going quite high up above sea level so it's almost an alpine region to the point where we have a little landlocked nation that we have very good relations with called the the Kingdom of Lesotho and just on the other side of the Drakensberg. This is where the kingdom exists. And they have snow all around the Drakensberg Mountains. You can get it on the South African side as well. You've actually got a couple of ski fields. Not that people would necessarily travel to South Africa for skiing, but just a a fun fact there, just on the Lesotho side. The only difference is you don't have cattle grazing through the fields there. You've got baboons foraging for different things as well. And I'll tell you, baboons are thoroughly entertaining animals. That's for sure. Um, apart from that, you've got some fantastic safari places throughout the province of KwaZulu Natal, but I think I might talk about safari a bit later, if that's okay. We'll talk about that in general, talk about the difference between a few things, so our listeners get a bit of an understanding uh, uh, what options they have when they're talking safari. Walking away from the safari bit, though, you can head out to beautiful national parks there, an area known as St Lucia, one of my favourite parts there. It's full of wetlands. Um, it's world-renowned for its hippos within. that part too. You can go surfing in the warm Indian Ocean waters there. You've also got a lot of history in a place called the battlefields too. So the battlefields um, were a couple of different Historical battles took place. You've got the Anglo Zulu battle wars, uh, battle wars, battlefields. You had the Anglo Zulu War, and you also had the Anglo Or War uh, occur, of course, in a couple of different periods throughout the 1800s. And some of their major battles were all in a very close area. So going out and visiting these parts, paying your respect to the memorials, and understanding the political history between The Afrikaners, between the fighting Zulu nations, between other African tribes, and between the British at the time. It's very, very fascinating to understand. But all of that can be reached from Durban, which is a great gateway city, of course, on the eastern seaboard of South Africa.
1: I think so far from listening to what's going on in Joburg, obviously with the history and culture there, and it's still entwined within some of its own buildings, uh, and also Durban and being able to go out and see those memorials is a great educational piece for anyone who wants to really understand what's happened in the past, what how people are coming together. And uh, I think that they're doing it absolutely brilliantly well in South Africa, having it on such display so people can see both sides and understand what's happened. It, it gives you... Some great education and, and knowledge. That's wonderful to hear that that is all there. And on, I know I know other countries don't. I know other countries don't have it, and they sort of hide stuff away. Oh, we don't want to see that. So I think it's it's great that it's at the forefront of of. Um, opportunity to be able to go and learn from that and you did mention safari so i did want to pick up an early talk about penguins in cape town so i did want to pick up on um, obviously the coastlines and also the wildlife and uh famous wildlife and where's best to sort of go within south africa to find it
0: Oh sure so um i'm sure our listeners uh well they might not have i shouldn't ever assume but uh for anyone who's heard of the big five before so these are the big five african animals you've got the lion You've got the leopard, you've got the rhinoceros, you've got the elephant. And then the slightly lesser uh, known one I tend to find is the Cape buffalo. So these are the big five. Historically, they were known as the big five animals because back in the day when people did hunting, which thankfully isn't too much of a thing these days, uh, for trophy killings, these were the sort of animals that would attack you. They were aggressive towards you. Funnily enough, I think if I had something like that pointed at me, I probably would be um, a little bit standoffish as well, I think. But um, that name has continued on now for people shooting their camera lenses at these animals instead. So that's the aim for a lot of people to go to South Africa, to head into a national park, into a private game reserve, into a concession, have a bit of a look around and take amazing photos and see these amazing animals in the wild. Now, I'm not just talking about the big five. Of course, there are a lot of other well-known animals within South Africa that are very distinctly and typically African or even Southern Africa. You've got giraffes, hippos, you've got hyenas. A lot of people might know about the wild dog, which are a little bit more rare these days, but there are some fantastic spotting places around South Africa that you're actually able to go and see the wild dog. Now, they're just a few. There are so many other things out there. If you wanted to think of something that's uh, just as popular as kangaroos in Australia or sheep in New Zealand, then think of the impala in South Africa. It's all around, um, and the impala is still a Amazing to see, even though it's so popular. I must admit, from personal experience, you've got a lot of countries all around the world that have something unique to offer, and that's why people travel. People go and uh, uh, see, seek out those unique experiences, check out the unique wildlife, eat the unique food, all that sort of jazz. To me personally, it doesn't matter how many times I've been on safari, and without sounding a little bit stupid, I am very lucky to have been on them many times because of my job. Um, let's say in excess of ten times. You never get bored of going on safari because every safari is completely different. Every experience within the safari is different, different weather, different conditions, and most importantly, animals that are different to each other too. So that's what I love about it. And when we're talking safari, some of my favorite places would be to finish up a safari would be to go out in the Eastern Cape. So if you're doing a trip through the famous Garden Route, a lot of people would start in Cape Town. They spend a couple of weeks. We would normally recommend about two weeks, 14 day itinerary. Sounds great. Get your travel agents onto that booking for you. But traveling along the Garden Route from Cape Town through the Winelands down south, if anyone's lucky enough to be looking at a map right now, you'll see the beautiful whale watching town of Hermanus all the way along into the Eastern Cape. Once you get to the Eastern Cape, just to the north of Port Elizabeth, which is the capital of that province, you've got fantastic areas. Not only do you have National Park, known as Addo Elephant Park, but you've also got a couple of great private game reserves there as well, which you'll be able to look at for yourselves. I don't want to mention one over the other, because if anyone from those private game reserves are listening, they might get upset if I didn't mention their own. But trust me, they're amazing and they're all quite different to each other and they all offer something quite different as well which is fantastic now I should probably mention as well what the difference is between private game reserve and a national park Uh, we have a lot of people asking about that and it's a totally fair question as well the one thing our listeners need to keep in mind is a private game reserve is different because it's not run by the government it's run privately doesn't mean that it's not amazing in fact it is a very very amazing experience but a national park is in fact run by the government so good old national parks as is the case in most national parks around the world um visitors will be able to go there they don't necessarily need to stay in the national park they can drive in through one of the gates in the morning kruger national park for example that's south africa's arguably most famous national park Certainly the oldest national park as well, about 22,000 square kilometres, about 8,000 square miles for anyone working in imperial scale. To put that into perspective, it's about the same size as Wales in the United Kingdom so it's a pretty big place it's got 11 entry gates not all of them from South Africa either from a couple of other of our neighboring southern African countries you can head into Kruger National Park too but people can pay for their entry ticket at the gate itself depending on the time of uh, year they're traveling depending on how many of them will depend on how much the pass is and of course depending on what currency they're bringing over and exchanging into Rand as well but entering in They'll be able to take their own vehicle or they can be shown around in a proper tour uh, vehicle as well. If they're in their own vehicle, you'll find our listeners will be traveling around with other vehicles, doing the same thing, keeping a lookout. Of course, you have to keep to the marked paths for very obvious reasons. And you'll pull over to the side of the road when you see something out of interest, whether it be Impalas, whether it be... Uh, ostriches running along uh, whether it be uh, you know the southern pride of lions relaxing during the daytime all that sort of jazz is amazing to see in one of our big government-run national parks there just keep in mind that different budgets will require different experiences or will offer different experiences, I should say. So this one is definitely our budget experience and there's nothing wrong with that. But keep in mind that you'll be one of quite a number of vehicles doing the same thing. Of course, you wouldn't be able to get closer to the animals if they're a little bit far off the beaten track as well because the beaten track is the track that you need to stick to in regard to that but there are some fantastic options there and of course it means you can book cheaper accommodation outside of the National Park and then head on in enjoy yourselves throughout the day just before sunset you can head back out of there and enjoy your night back in one of the surrounding towns or surrounding cities, whichever national park it may be. Now, you've got that as one experience, and then, of course, you've got the private game reserve as the other experience. Now, private game reserve, you're most certainly allowed to take your own vehicle to the beginning of the private game reserve, but once you get to the private game reserve, your car will be left in a secure lockup, but no matter how long that you actually stay there for, because you will be chauffeured around instead. It's a very, very unique and a very intimate experience. Experience for our listeners if they actually have the chance to go and check out a safari in a private game reserve so you'll be taken to your lodge and when I talk about a private game reserve there's many different lodges within the run one reserve you know these reserves are, are, are thousands of hectares in area they're, they're not just small places however in general they are still small in comparison to the national parks some of them border national parks some of them don't Some of them have fences between the national parks, some of them share. It just depends on which private game reserve we're talking about. But keeping that in mind, it means there's a lot of options within the one reserve. Because it's a little bit smaller than a national park, although it's still very large in general. theoretically means that there is a higher concentration of wildlife there. Now, I do say theoretically, we can never guarantee, of course, that you'll see all the animals that you want to. um, But if you haven't, it just means you have to come back and check it out again until you see all of the animals. animals. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. The other really cool thing about staying in a private game reserve, I personally find, is... um, not only is it uh, anywhere from three and a half star luxury to five star luxury but you're you weighted on hand and foot a lot more so uh, to give you an idea that when I actually went to this lodge uh, for the very first time um, and my background in travel uh, particularly when traveling for personal reasons isn't staying in luxurious five-star areas so that in itself was a fantastic experience for me but I went to a place called Earth Lodge um, it's all built into the sides of hills there so it blends in. With The environment, and I must say, this is just one of many, many lodges all around South Africa, of course, that are very similar to this one. Was in the Sabi Sands Private Game Reserve, and arriving, you were asked uh, if you wanted to cool your face down with a nice scented towel. You were taken into your room, and when I say room, it's a very, very large room with big bathtub, a spa area, your own swimming pool, Um, and, and all of these have views over some of the planes within um, the safari private game reserve and then i mastered uh, uh sorry And then i'm asked uh what time i would like to have dinner i'd asked uh, i've been asked if i wanted to go out on a private game reserve safari that evening before dinner and then i was asked what i would like for breakfast the following morning i was asked all of this to begin with so i sort of forgot about a little bit of it uh i went out on what was one of the most spectacular safari runs that evening before i had an amazing dinner that night And then in the morning, I didn't even have to set my alarm. Now, I must admit, it was an early start. I think it was about 5.45 that I got woken up, but I just got woken up by a knock on the door. I said, Mr. Balderston, good morning. Just to let you know, our safari vehicle will be leaving in about 20 minutes. We'd love for you to come and have some coffee. And you did request some baked goods in the morning, so we've got them prepared for you too. And I thought to myself, oh yeah, I did, didn't I? I didn't really think about that. Not only did I request baked goods, but they'd actually cooked a whole bunch of baked goods separately so I could take my off option uh, right there. So I had a fantastic barista coffee and I had a delicious blueberry muffin that was still warm. That is a really good start in the morning. Let me tell you, that's not breakfast, by the way. That's just to get you up and going. Then you head out on your safari vehicle. You'll travel around for a couple of different hours, not only after the sun's come up, but before the sun has come up. And you see uh, dawn and dusk are actually the two best times in general to actually go visiting um and 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 looking for wildlife in South Africa and that's simply because this is when animals are most active just before sun up and just after sundown as well and that's because it's not quite as warm throughout the day so you've got a lot of animals at the top of the food chain being more active therefore you have the other animals that are lower down on the food chain being active a bit of a snowball effect if you like so going around spotting a few different animals I remember we visited a pride of we could we couldn't find the lion, we found the lionesses but the are the ones that go out and do the hunting so it was very very fascinating to come across them we saw loads of impala we saw the odd springbok as well we saw hippos playing and fighting with each other as they were walking back down from the grass going into the water because they're nocturnal creatures they go in uh, eat grass of a night and then they'll head back down after that so um it was a really really nice experience As the sun was coming up, our private safari guide, who, by the way, had been on the radio with other guides at the time, making sure he knew where the best places were. That's the other good thing about a private game reserve. They all talk to each other, they communicate with each other, make sure they're taking you to the right area there so you can get the best out of your safari experience. They took us to a little ridge where the sun was rising. We all had hot chocolate or another coffee if you wanted. Um, I went one further. I had the South African version of an Irish coffee. Um, they actually a beautiful Love it. oh yeah uh, made from the marula plant, uh, the marula tree there called amarula. I'd recommend it to anyone. So we had an amarula shot in our coffee, which uh, kept us nice and happy in the morning. Um, some nibbles. We had some more baked goods. Also, that was not breakfast either. That was just another little stop for some food, and then we headed back. Then we had an amazing breakfast that was a fantastic spread put out for myself and the other guests that were in the open top safari vehicle it was a really really nice experience now going on from that you can keep in mind just how much food i've had already if you're listeners were to travel there if they stay in a private game reserves essentially they have to put their back into taking it easy it's all about relaxing it's all about having quite a number of meals as well depending on the facilities of each of these lodges within the uh, safari game reserves they will have gyms there if they like it's always good to keep that in mind but otherwise chances are if you stay for a few nights and we recommend a minimum of two nights so you can really get a good experience there you'll walk in but you might just roll back out to your safari vehicle afterwards as well so uh that's the main sort of experience i think when you're at a private game reserve and even then talking about it on a podcast is one thing but i probably haven't done it justice people i highly recommend to go and have a bit of a look online and check out some of these amazing safari experiences you can do within
1: south africa and just quickly on that there do you have a section on the south african tourism website where someone could go right now and type it in they can have a look while they continue to listen
0: absolutely we definitely do. So, uh, our website, by the way, uh, all the W's. Dot South Africa, one word.net. So, southafrica.net. Our listeners go on. Uh, if you happen to be listening to this, During the pandemic, you will find all the latest information and updates on there. It's your one-stop shop to see what the entry conditions are into South Africa as it stands. And when the world starts going back to normal, whatever the new normal is, you'll find the latest updates for getting down to South Africa and enjoying yourselves once again too. Divided up very, very easily on the South African Tourism website, visiting our country, what the regular entry conditions are from whatever country you may be listening to, what the different cultures are, what suggested itineraries are as well. Most importantly, what to explore in the cities, what to explore within safari and that includes those private safari guide uh, uh, areas as well and then we've got food and wine as a fantastic section as well.
1: I know we haven't really touched on the food and wine you've mentioned it as we've gone through and obviously you mentioned fly drives as well as we've gone through and one I know which is one of your favorite recommendations is the Cape Town Garden Roo, um, Safari as well Which you briefly Touched on But could you just Give us a brief Recommendation of Three holidays For the listeners That have been Inspired by what You've mentioned so far um, What would be your Three recommended Holiday itineraries Sure Ken
0: That's nice and easy
1: And actually um,
0: With my first itinerary This will include A bit about food And wine as well So we'll, we'll kill t- Two birds with one stone If you like So a couple of Different itineraries um, I want to mention certainly as uh, you're right Matt I I did actually touch on it very briefly before but I'll go into a little bit more detail on the Cape Town Garden Route Drive. I'm also going to talk a little bit about A fantastic itinerary around Kwazulu Natal starting out from Durban and then finishing back there as well Um, and there's also another brilliant one which is a little bit shorter but just as important particularly if people have been to South Africa a couple of times already and they want to explore something new it's known as the Panorama Route which includes a bit of time around the Kruger National Park region as well so that's up in the northeastern part of South Africa so Starting Cape Town garden route, flying into Cape Town, I'd recommend doing about a four or five night stay. Uh, For the listeners remembering back to the beginning of the podcast, I was talking about all the reasons why I would suggest spending a few nights there before heading out and doing different things. Once you've spent time in Cape Town, once you've gotten a feel for the fantastic Mother City, that's when it's time to head out and explore some of the other areas. So, I mentioned the wine region already. It's known as the winelands in Cape Town. And it actually depends on where you go. For example, you've got who Constantia. Uh, that's really, really close to Cape Town. It's only a 15, 20 minute drive out. Uh, some of the oldest vines in the southern hemisphere are there too, which is quite fascinating. Um, South Africa has a winemaking history going back about 400 years. So, it is very, very impressive The French Huguenots. Shortly after it was made a Dutch settlement in the 1500s, they came along escaping uh, religious persecution in France. They settled. In a few different regions. Their uh, descendants can still be found there and they were the ones that brought wine to South Africa and uh, we are the ones that buy wine from South Africa to have on our table. So the very famous red grape, the Pinotage grape, um, you've also got the very famous uh, Chenin Blanc white grape as well. These are distinctly South African blends of grape uh, and they can be found all around there. But uh, out of Group Constantia, probably the most famous place is Stellenbosch. Uh, historically, the second place to be settled by the Dutch in the Cape province and uh, Stellenbosch is also a very um, big university town so it's a bit of a party place there but amazing food amazing wine within Stellenbosch this is about an hour's drive out from Cape Town and then another half an hour drive from there you've got places like PAL uh, that's P-A-A-R-L Wellington spelled like how it sounds so that one's nice and easy Um, and you've also got Franschuk which in Afrikaans means French corner you can understand probably why it's called that and where its origins come from, um but Franschuk is a little bit more of a boutique version, if you like of uh of Stellenbosch, so it's a little bit smaller. it's just the the one main road there, but it is a really, really cool place now i wanna talk a little bit about five hidden gems within South Africa so I'm actually going to come back to Franschhoek when we do talk about them because one such hidden gem one of my favorite things to do in South Africa is located there it's called the wine tram but we'll move on from there for now so after your uh, your listeners have spent a few days enjoying some wine definitely not drink driving but taking that tram around perhaps and being shown around all the different wineries there tasting all of the amazing food having some great pairings with the wine, such as chocolate or fruit. I mean, fruit's great, but when you're on holiday, you're going to try it for chocolate, aren't you? Let's be honest. Definitely. (laughs) Um, You would head down then to the coastline. I think I mentioned at the beginning, but I haven't mentioned since I've started talking in depth about the garden route, but this is normally about uh, a a trip that you'd be looking at doing about 14 days. That's the length of the itinerary we would recommend. If you wanna get a really nice overall experience though, I definitely recommend staying for a little bit longer in some of these areas, but two weeks, 14 days, and and you're gonna see everything that you need to see along the Cape Town garden route. So that's the important bit, including a bit of safari as well. From there I'd continue along to Hermanus. So Hermanus is absolutely stunning destination. I mentioned it's a popular place for whale watching. Arguably it's one of the best places for whale watching in the world. I know that's quite a bold claim, but I've been lucky enough to be down there many times when whales have actually been migrating past. Now, one of the reasons why I think it's one of the best places is because the town crier, nice and old school, we've got a town crier there, just like a few other old colonial towns. He comes out with his horn every time whales have been spotted. He blows that horn and that way everyone in the town at the time knows that they can go out and view the whales migrating past the coast we've got uh orcas there's some interesting stories behind the orcas or the the killer whales that head on past they're not quite as migratory they're sort of heading back and forth quite a fair bit interestingly um they've been known to take out the livers of great white sharks there so two orca brothers are really making their name around that area you can actually do shark cage diving or whale watching cruises from an area just outside of um, this particular city and you can head out to an area known as Huns Bay um, which is Afrikaans but if you were reading it it's known as Guns Bay uh, that's how you would read it uh, with the letters there this is a great place to go and speaking to marine biologists going out on those cruises experiencing sharks or close up experiencing whales close up It's a very, very amazing place. But Hermanus in general, great place to stay, even just for the night, so you can do some of that whale watching. Um, Whale watching season is probably an important one for me to mention as well, anywhere between July and November. These are the best times to see the whales. You do get humpback whales through there that are breaching quite often. They're the most popular ones to see, although you do also get southern right whales traveling through at other times, a bit more sporadically throughout the year as well. I have been lucky enough to see whales there in December, so it's not strict, but that is just the most um. Uh, that's the time where the highest traffic of whales are, is probably the better way to put it. I remember I was heading out to Robben Island in Cape Town, actually, and uh, you might remember I said it was only a 30-minute ferry ride to get out to there, heading out. There was a whale just putting its little flipper out, waving at everyone going past. Well, it wasn't little, it was about my uh, my height, it was about six six foot maybe uh, in length. It was quite long, putting its flipper out there, but it was very interesting. Um, but the reason I mention that is because that was in December, so uh, it's not a strict time, but that is the best time to actually see those whales, so from July to November um continuing along there a lot of people head through a beautiful route as part of the garden route inland instead it's known as Swartburg Pass you've got fantastic views you can go to the ostrich farms there the meerkat sanctuary and it's part of what we call the Klein Karoo region in the Klein Karoo it's a much drier than those coastal regions. So driving a little bit inland for the views, for the ostriches, for the meerkats, for uh, other areas around there as well, uh, is a really nice experience to get off that coastal path momentarily for a night or two, and then heading back onto it. Probably one of the more popular areas where you continue driving along would be an area known as Nysna. So that's spelled K-N-Y-S-N-A. Nysna is a coastal area with a beautiful harbour. You've got a steam train called the Choo Choo that takes people back and forth. We really hope it's opening up again soon. It's a fantastic place for those train buffs within South Africa as well. Um, Nysna is great because it's situated on the harbour. It's very close to some amazing wildlife reserves. And it marks very close to the end of something that we call the Cape Floral Region. So the Cape Floral Region is one of six floral kingdoms, sorry, kingdom, not region, uh, kingdoms around the world. Um, And the Cape Floral Kingdom is the smallest, most concentrated one. But all of these kingdoms are distinguished because they have very different plant life to each other. And in the Cape Floral Kingdom, particularly around Neissner, you have amazing vegetation known as finbos. Uh, in Afrikaans uh, that's a fine bush basically and this type of finbos is not found in other parts of Africa let alone the world and that's what makes it quite unique and that's why it has a small very dense floral region around that area too. You can find a lot of dassies, which are beautiful small animals that resemble um, almost like cuter versions of rats. Weirdly, they are the most closely related animals to the African elephants left in the world, though, which makes it very, very interesting to see. They love hanging around the Finnbus there. Oh, finboss, sorry. What I really find fascinating, though, is all of this finboss, uh, a lot of it can be turned into tea. You've got rooibos tea, which is getting more and more popular all around the world, and a lot of that comes from the area around Noisena. So you can go out to um, an amazing wildlife reserve there, and it's really well known within the area simply because of its finbos. So this private nature reserve is known as the Featherbed Private Nature Reserve. On Neisner Head so it's a very short drive from the actual town of Neisner itself you can see it from a beautiful area known as Thiessen Island where a lot of people go to stay as well the really cool thing about it is taking a tour up to the very top of the reserve there and then slowly hiking your way back down through all of the beautiful rock formations having a bit of lunch and then catching a ferry back to Neisner from there um, That's one of many beautiful walks you can do within that region, because this region in general is really well known for its coastal walks. Um, You've also got the highest, and this is proven by Guinness World Records, the highest commercial bungee jump in the world. We stole that from the Kiwis quite a number of years ago, and that's on a place called Blue Cron's Bridge, just as you cross over into the Eastern Cape there. So any adrenaline junkies, they can actually jump off the side of the bridge. Uh, It's a big cement arch bridge going over the Storm's River, and interesting. In order to get to the Bungee Jump in the first place, you have to take a zip line or a flying fox to get there. So it's adrenaline packed, whichever way you look at it, basically. <laughs> um, heading along from there, you've got another beautiful coastal area. It's actually only about a 20 minute drive from Neisner, but it's right on the beach as opposed to a harbour like Neisner. It's known as Plettenberg Bay. But even the hinterland just behind Plettenberg Bay, or Plet as the locals call it, has a lot of different activities and a lot of beautiful hikes within that region too. And then, of course, what people would do is they drive into Port Elizabeth, they perhaps stay on the waterfront there, and then it's not very far to drive up north from that area head on into your safari whether that be a private game reserve or as i mentioned somewhere within out elephant park too so a bit of safari at the end is great traveling along that garden route is fantastic you've got so many beautiful coastal areas you've got the wine routes you've got the wildlife that are both in the sea and on the land to see along the way and uh probably one other thing i should mention is all of this is quite achievable in hiring your own car or separately you can of course as i mentioned actually instead uh, take a tour vehicle through this area too uh, and then very last but not least uh, i should mention um, a lot of people ask about south africa uh, and malaria in relation to malaria everything that i've just described so far on the garden route trip whether it be in the western cape or in the eastern cape is completely malaria free including those safari sections there so there are no malaria shots or any other vaccinations required in order to head down to South Africa and explore through these areas.
1: That's great to know. That's yeah. And I know a lot of people are conscious when they're going to safari about malaria. So that's a great insight. And the second recommendation. Absolutely.
0: So second recommendation, um, I think for me personally, this is one of my favourites. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't have favourites, I know. So don't tell anyone else that works for the tourism board. But my second recommendation would be doing KwaZulu-Natal. So the province, the land of the Zulu Kingdom. I have to say the Zulu people, along with all of the other different cultures within South Africa, are just so friendly and so laid back. And they're so happy to have people there. But they're so passionate about their culture as well. Um, And, you know, there's a couple of fantastic Zulu guides that can show you around the entire Zulu Kingdom while you're there as well. But I'd land into Durban. I'd spend two or three nights in Durban, kicking back on the beach, enjoying everything that it has to offer along the Golden Mile there Um, I must mention as well uh, a decade ago South Africa hosted the FIFA World Cup Uh, there were new stadiums built in a few of the major areas like Johannesburg Durban was one of them as well and then also um, Cape Town a lot of these areas were given a nice facelift as well so that whole beachfront section along Durban there Is all really, really nice, clean, and modern, safe, easily accessible as well. So you've got a bit of time to relax, walk up and down the foreshore, and really check out Durban as a city before heading through some of the other areas. You've actually got a couple of wineries around so it's not all just in the western cape these are some smaller lesser known uh wineries though and you get them as part of what we call the midlands meander so there's midlands in lots of different countries around the world there's a midlands in western australia midlands here in the united kingdom as well of course in england but you've also got the midlands here on the way to the Drakensberg in the KwaZulu-Natal province. Driving through this, it is farmland, so you've got some fantastic um, uh, cellar to glass, paddock to plate food. Uh, It's a really, really nice way to explore um uh the area before you head into the Drakensberg region uh you can stay overnight in the Midlands if you like otherwise you'd stay one or two nights in the Drakensberg region so there's a couple of different places you can stay there around uh Giants Castle is probably one of those more important areas the Drakensberg isn't just about the views that I mentioned before the hills are alive with sound of music and baboons chewing on the grass there you've also got a lot of amazing culture within that area you've got some great active adventure and you've got some really interesting wildlife as well when it comes to active adventure I was lucky enough to do some um, mountain scootering uh, and you did hear that right not mountain biking but mountain scootering down the mountain face it was really really fun to do going through a lot of these different areas for anyone that is interested in doing something a little a little bit more adrenaline fueled um, coming down towards the bottom when you finish up in this particular part, when you're mountain scootering, scooters, it's known as, uh, you actually stop and admire some of the farm life that they have. Because this is quite a farmland region, just simply because of the fact it's very green, it's very lush, as well as the soil is highly nutritious. Uh, for plants anyway I probably wouldn't eat it yourself it's not nutritious for us (laughs) Um, you have a couple of zebras hanging around with the horses it's it's a very interesting eclectic mix there Um, staying overnight means you can do a couple of different hikes there too and if you're lucky enough to head along one of the more interesting passages within the Drakensberg region you actually get the chance to come across and you can also be guided by some of the locals as well but you come across some some fantastic art in the rock face there, so cave art, rock paintings, some of these are estimated to be thousands of years old as well. Historically, the first uh, modern humans around this part known as the Khoisan people. A lot of their descendants are still in the area but of course there are a lot of other people around such as the Zulu, the Klopsa have made their way up into the area, the British, the Afrikaners as well so it's quite an eclectic mix but the original culture and the original art paintings are still there to be seen so it's quite fantastic to go and visit. From there I'd recommend driving from the Drakensberg um, I should probably mention that all of our roads are nice and easy they're all paved as well they're all sealed Uh, so they're not just random gravel roads you're driving along through these farm areas too which is probably worth keeping in mind Um, but you'll head out to the next area which is known as the battlefields there's a lot of different towns you can stay in a lot of different lots of accommodation that can take you out there but when you're going out to experience the history of these battles some of the most important ones such as the anglo-zulu wars for example these were fought at rocks drifts uh, fugitives drift as well. You've got Isandwana. Uh, some of these areas have gravestones still, and they don't uh, differentiate between either uh, side of the battle. So you will go and experience the graves and know that that was a person that died for what they believe in. It wasn't someone from the Zulu side. It wasn't someone from the Boa side. It wasn't someone from the British side. It was simply a soldier. A lot of them are actually designated in white piles of rocks, and they've been that way since the 1800s as well. Very. A very interesting place to go and visit because of that reason from there after spending a little bit of time understanding the history behind it and my goodness you've got some great guides that talk so passionately about the stories out there as well you would head along to one of the wetland parks so you've got a few different ones you've got beautiful Isimangaliso wetlands park and that's where a lot of the hippos are that's where the town of St Lucia is as well very close by and of course you can do some safari big five spotting around there but of course being wetlands you've got that um, different sort of area to explore through now I must mention that this area is relatively malaria free as well and I say relatively we mean about 98 percent you will find that um, if you go to your doctor or if you go to your local chemist or whoever gives prescriptions out for malaria medication in your country wherever you're listening you will find that they will advise that you need to take malaria tablets for these areas just because there is a very slight chance so it is completely up to you for anyone that's looking at taking their family Along, of course, it's not always fun giving malaria tablets to the children because they can get a little bit sick from it, as can everyone. So that's why I'd recommend a malaria-free area. There you go. I miss my calling as a rapper at Ryan's. But then, of course, there are other areas that you don't require that at all. But the areas that you do, just keep in mind that tablets are recommended here still. Um, So this is within Wazulu Natal, simply because there's a lot of wetlands there. You can imagine there's a few mosquitoes from time to time as well being a subtropical area there too. After that, I'd head along down the coast to Belito, spend a beautiful night at a beachside destination before heading back to the airport, King Shaka International, and flying out. Now, if you wanted to do all of this, it doesn't have to be quite as long as a garden route itinerary. So this is great for anyone that's going back to South Africa for a second time and seeing something different. For our listeners, I'd simply recommend a 10 to 12-day itinerary for this, although, of course, you can do it in less, but to get a good experience, to get a good understanding of the areas, particularly the battlefields, and getting that chance to relax by the beach as well, I'd recommend 10 to 12 days there. Um, And then there's one last area. I wanted to mention that when it comes to road trips, when it comes to a little drive. Uh, So this one includes uh, Johannesburg indirectly. But if people fly into Johannesburg into OR Tambo Airport, they can actually do a really nice extended itinerary out to a couple of our more remote provinces where Kruger National Park is based. So they can drive out to areas in uh, Umpumalanga, which is one of the provinces out there. And if they were to drive out to that particular area, they can stay in a few different cities that are just outside the National Park gate. Now that means they can spend some time in a private game reserve doing safari, or they can spend some time going through one of those gates from whatever city they might be staying in and experiencing safari at a bit more of a budget. If they've hired their own car, they can actually uh, pick that up from the airport after flying into a place, uh, places like Hoodspreit or, or Nelspruit, as well as kukuza Airport, all of these, although they might be smaller airports, Can offer car hire facilities or can drive you out to their safari areas from those airports but otherwise you can hire a car from johannesburg and drive on in then i would recommend doing something that i call the panorama route now this route will only take two days three days i'd say two nights and three days you can see everything there you would add that on to perhaps three or four nights or experiencing safari and a couple of nights experiencing Johannesburg as well panorama route is amazing because it goes through some really amazing natural uh you could almost call them monuments but natural features of the area areas like Grass Cop, uh, Gorge. Um, so there's a little town called Grass Cop, really well known for their pancakes, interestingly. But Grass Cop Gorge is a beautiful gorge with a magnificent waterfall, goes over the edge. You've got rainforest throughout that area. And nowadays there's actually a lift that can take you down to the bottom and you can slowly walk your way up to the top. Um, back for those people that love a good adrenaline rush, you can jump off the edge of the gorge on a bungee swing as well, which is good fun. Seeing people do it plenty of times, videoed it plenty of times for my entertainment but I've never actually done this particular one myself. Um, You've got a beautiful area known as God's Window which actually walks so far high that you're looking down into the cavern below and a lot of the time it's surrounded by mist. You'll understand why it's being called God's Window because it looks like it was created for our viewing pleasure once you walk up to the top of there. It's absolutely stunning. Probably the most famous place there um, there's Lake potholes, which are these water holes that have been um, essentially drilled into the ground over millions of years by a screwing sensation of water twisting around slowly but surely. So you have these really deep holes. And interestingly, you've also got, um, it is arguably, depends on who you talk to, depending on what source you're eating, but they say it's the third largest ketchup in the world. Uh, and that's quite impressive if you think about it. There's another canyon in, I think it's in Mexico. And then you've got the Fish River Canyon in Namibia that are meant to be a little bit taller, but this particular one is absolutely fantastic. So this particular canyon is known as the Blyde River Canyon. So third largest canyon in the world. When you walk to the top, good thing is you can actually drive there, which is great you don't have to walk to the top from the bottom of the canyon, but the views you get out are absolutely If you look close enough, there's a lot of water going through the river down below. You can see tiny little dots swimming around and those are normally the hippos that are swimming around in the water below. The views are incredible as I said. Looking out into the distance, not only do you get the water, you can see the horizon way off as well. You can see a lot more of the mountain range in the distance. You can also see just across from us something we call the three rendezvous. Um, So it's almost like a a very well-known distinctive area within Blind River Canyon that a lot of people like to get their photos in front of. Rendezvous are simply um, traditional dwellings that are made by Southern African tribes to live in, Uh, and they resemble that a lot, so they weren't simply called three of them, three rendezvous there. So it's a really, really impressive place. And then staying for night, you've got a couple of different bits of uh, um, accommodation all around, but I really recommend trying to stay in this really cool old school town now this particular town is fascinating because it's an old mining town there town is called pilgrims rest and the fact that it's an old mining town is interesting enough, but the fact that it hasn't changed since the 1800s when it was first built is even more interesting. You've got the remnants of this old electric mining railway that used to go around the area. Because it was private, um, a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life actually walked through there, which was quite fascinating. Or worked through there. Sorry, not walked. A really cool interpretation centre there, and it was purchased by the South African government as a national asset in the 1970s. You can stay. the old royal hotel there and again it hasn't changed since the 1800s and they say it's one of the most haunted places in south africa for anyone that's interested in doing that the first time i went there i was lucky enough to stay in a little guest house it was just across the road from the royal hotel it was still owned by them but it was an old house with a whole bunch of different rooms in it. It was all creaky floorboards. It was pouring down rain that particular night. But on a tin roof, there's nothing better than rain. And it put me straight to sleep. I had a really sound sleep. Woke up the next morning. It was a beautiful sunny day, and I was able to explore around the town itself. There's a couple of different amazing um, museums there that uh, just ask for a little donation to go in and have a bit of a look around as it's run by volunteers, um, which is quite fascinating. It goes through some of the old mining equipment, what life was like there as well for the miners so that had come from all around the world to try and make their money within that particular area. A very, very interesting place, Pilgrim's Rest. So that whole panorama route, like I said, with the areas that I've mentioned, these are great. You can do some longer extended hikes, but really you only need maybe two nights, three days on the panorama route to make it complete. Three nights I'd recommend out on safari, whether that's in one of the private game reserves surrounding the Kruger National Park and then staying at one of the cities near the gates or staying in a private game reserve nearby and then if you wanted not to fly there but to drive there from Johannesburg, a couple of nights in Jo'burg to check out out some of the areas as well, I would suggest. So those are my three recommended driving routes. If you've never been to South Africa before, I'd start off with the fantastic Cape Town Garden route. You then have the beautiful Guazulu Natal driving route which takes you up through the Drakensberg region across the battlefields beautiful wetlands there as well and then back down to durban or you can do the famous panorama route as well to get a bit of mining history as well to see a bit of uh, natural glory of the area too
1: three great recommendations and great insights into those and how easy it is to actually drive around and mentioned everyone does speak english even though there are so many different dialects and languages uh, locally around the tribes and different areas of south africa and and yep. one last question before we finish for today. I know that you've given us some great top tips and some great recommendations on where to go for malaria-free safaris, for for instance, or to go like and see the whales. Going to a shark tank is one of my big things. I definitely want to go to South Africa to go and see the great white sharks. I'm a massive shark. We'll have shark, to get
0: you out there
1: but, then, Matthew. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm on that. Um, and I'd personally do a walking safari. I know it's a bit mental, but I like getting uh, close to wildlife. We're obviously I safely think- not not outside of, not, i wouldn't drive and then get in my car i'd go professional so don't if you are going to drive through Kruger, stay in your car. It's a bit more of an extreme version of a drive through zoo or um, wildlife centre within the UK, for instance, um, or wherever you are listening in the world. I know earlier before we came on, you were talking about some hidden secrets. Could you give me your top five hidden secrets in South Africa?
0: I sure can. Um, and just quickly, I completely agree with the walking safari. Uh, yes, for our listeners, please don't, and please don't just randomly get out of your car. But you, there are quite a number of areas, national parks and private game reserves, that are safe and you can actually do some walking safaris and, and you're right they are fantastic to do now if I was to give my five uh hidden gems if you like or hidden secrets of South Africa a couple of them I have mentioned very briefly but I'll go into a bit more detail as to why I would recommend them I think that's probably a good idea so I'm, I'm going to start off with the Swartburg Pass so the Swartburg Pass is fantastic for those of you driving along the garden route. Now, it can easily be skipped. You don't have to go inland into the Klein Karoo. But if you do, it is a beautiful, windy road that takes you right up to the top of these mountains. These mountains are high enough to actually change the weather on either side of this range as well. And that's why you're going from an area that is coastal and lush and green Once you get over to the other side, you pass through a few different tunnels. It's completely dry, not completely as in the Sahara Desert. It's what we call semi arid, but it's a very different outlook, very different landscape and therefore very different experience with the wildlife as well. I'd recommend adding that on because the Swartberg Pass really has these views that you wouldn't get driving through any other areas because of the sharp change in in, uh, in environment and in climate as you're driving through these mountains and through that pass. And then of course, once you do that, that area is very old geologically. We're talking hundreds of millions of years old for some of these rock formations out in this area, which is even older than my dad's. So that's really old. You've actually got the Kango Caves, which is a stunning, ground cave formation there a lot of people go through to check out you've got fossilized animals that had fallen down there once upon a time and never been able to get out of course and because of the conditions within the cave they've been preserved really really amazingly that's the same actually as the cradle of humankind out in the Mahalisburg region too Um, The next area I'd probably mention is St. Lucia. And again, I did mention that briefly. It's not to be confused with that Caribbean island, which I'm sure is a very lovely place too. But St. Lucia in KwaZulu-Natal province is a stunning little town. Not only is it a great place full of cheerful people, lots of places to stay as well, but it's so close to those wetlands. Now, when I was staying out there, I was with a whole group of people, and we were just at one of the local pubs that overlooked the main street. Now, when you're overlooking the main street, you've got cars coming back and forth. This is at nighttime, you know, this is maybe seven or eight o'clock in the evening. We were having a pub meal, having a bit of a chat about life. And then we noticed that people had stopped. Now, that's the people that were on the street and the people that were driving cars. People had got their phones out, they'd started taking photos. But the angle that we were at, we couldn't quite see what they were taking photos of. So we decided to go around a little bit. And then before you know it, you had five massive hippos coming up from the river, walking across the main road up to what we later found out was the school oval, the high school oval there, the local oval, because it's got a lot of of lovely grass for the hippos. And they do that more or less every night. So it's an amazing experience. Of course, hippos can be very dangerous. So you do have to be careful. You do not want to get too close to them. But if you're back They are certainly not aggressive, only defensive, and they'll simply just walk past you to go up to the top and actually graze. We were in the pub, so we were well protected anyway. But I'll tell you, it was an amazing experience to actually see those hippos walking off. So we think we counted five. Then after we started talking to the locals, they're like, yep, This happens more or less every night. It's a really cool experience. So that would be my suggestion for KwaZulu-Natal. Get up there, experience everything that that road trip has to offer, but know you'd stay overnight in St Lucia so you could do a river cruise, so you can see the hippos, so you can see the wetlands, but also so you can experience that of a nighttime. Then I would say my next um, recommendation, number three, uh, I mentioned it very briefly before, is the wine tram. So this really is a unique experience. I don't know of anywhere else in the world that you can jump on the tram at one winery take the tram along the tram tracks to another winery, jump off and do all the same again. Obviously, we are not advocates of drink driving and it is not legal in South Africa. So this is the best way to do it. If your clients are staying in Franschhoek specifically, because they can get picked up from whatever hotel they are in, even if it's not on the tram line, they have a lovely little vehicle dressed up as a tram and they'll take you around different areas, um, but they'll drop you off You'll be able to go in, have a few drinks, taste wine to your heart's content, have some of that fantastic food or take out some picnic food, jump back on the tram, which, by the way, if you get on a group Drakenstein, which is their first stop, you even get a lovely wine tasting on the tram before they go to the next area too. And then you can jump off, of course, and have a look at others. The brilliant thing about the wine tram, though, is not only are you seeing amazing views, beautiful landscape, lots of wineries as you're traveling along the tram in comfort and style, but you're also getting a hop-on, hop-off experience. So there's a timetable. All you need to do is look at the timetable and then you can time how long you want to be staying at whatever winery that you want to get off at. There's a couple of different routes as well. So for example, you've got the purple route. That's the truck. The truck will pick you up and then take you around to the next area. Whereas the green route, that's the actual tram and that will take you up and down. It's an old disused train line. Uh, well it's not disused of course I don't know why I said that but it was once upon a time used for trains but they've converted it into a fantastic tourism venture instead so that would be my third recommendation. Fourth recommendation in general now I sort of have already covered this um, so I'll just talk about it very briefly but I'd recommend a safari in the eastern cape now that's not to diss any of the other safari areas that you can do because they are all amazing but again just for those that have families because this area is malaria free it's one less thing you have to worry about and of course it's a little bit less known than Kruger National Park for example but you can see the animals uh, a fair bit around here and in the winter time the animals are out and about much more but of course in the summertime, if you're doing a dawn or a dust game drive, it doesn't matter too much anyway because they'll be nice and active. But an Eastern Cape Safari, you'll be pleasantly surprised at just how much wildlife you see there, which is good. And then my final one is one area that I have not yet mentioned at all yet. Now, this is in a province called the Northern Cape. So you would make your way up from Cape Town, you could either drive up there, a lot of people continue on to uh, one of our neighboring African countries, which is Namibia, or they stop and enjoy the Northern Cape for what it is. There's so much to see and do in the Northern Cape, and I don't want to do it in injustice. Uh, But I do have to talk about one particular thing here, and this is the flower season. Now the wildflowers in an area called Namaqualand are some of the most vibrant flowers that you will see anywhere in the world. A lot of other places around the world have brilliant wildflower seasons as well, but after just a little bit of rain, in this area you have a carpet that's hundreds of square kilometers in distance driving through along the road this carpet is multicolored. you've got amazing wildlife that comes when the flower when the flowers come out and of course you've got some of the most amazing photo opportunities through that area there's also a lot of history uh, in european settlements throughout that region as well which are worth having a bit of a look at too so Namaqualam would be my other recommendation I should probably mention as well that um, if you're going to go and check out the wildflower season, it is a season. There is a particular time to go visit it. August is the best time of this year. That's just after the winter rains have occurred and everything's out in bloom. I think those are my five pretty
1: much, Matt. It's been amazingly insightful. Um probably used to amazingly well weird words but it's been very very insightful it's actually been been pleasure listening to you talk through the different regions of south africa and also the the amount of knowledge and passion that you've you've given and the itineraries it sounds amazing i definitely ones that i will um personally be looking at doing at some point it's anything that's going to swim with sharks i'm, I'm in on and or wildlife in general so i just want to say a massive thank you and for everyone that's listening today, for more information and for links to the South African tourism website and other links to what we spoke about on this episode, do head over to travelpodcast.com and you'll find the episode in the episodes section of the website. So if you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star rating either on Apple Podcasts or any of your podcast platforms and do make sure to recommend us to your friends. So thank you again, Steve, and thank you for everyone listening
0: thanks so much for having me on the travel podcast
1: the travel podcast is sponsored by not just travel where it's not just travel it's a way of life we hope you liked this podcast and if you did please tell your friends but also take a moment to rate us on itunes as it helps spread the word thanks for listening